If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. In this episode of Mind Pump, we talk all about fitness, health, nutrition, longevity, but we also have a lot of fun. Here's what we talked about in this episode for the first 43 minutes. It's our introductory fun time conversation. Adam gives us a little baby update. Uh, his baby boy is uh, like two days old now, I think two or three days old. So he gives us a little update. He sounds super upbeat, motivated, and uh, super connected to his child. We're very, very excited for him. Uh, he also talked about how he started watching Stranger Things, but now is not watching any TV at all because mm. uh, he welcome to <laughs> That's fatherhood. A mistake. Yeah, we also talked about how we've opened up more spots for our San Francisco live show. This is because we got a new space; it's bigger. And Dosist, uh, they're the makers of those phenomenal uh, Dosist uh, vape pens, the cannabis vape pens that we like so much. Um, so it's, there's more spots there. Here's what you do to sign up. If you want to come watch us, it's at mindpumplive.com. Uh, the event is July 12th. Make sure you go sign up and check it out. Then we talked about our Seattle event, which is two weekends later, um, and how uh, Skinny Dipped is going to be hosting that one. And they're afraid that Justin's going to eat all of their product again. Yeah, hopefully they don't have it on display. <laughs> now it'll be gone. <laughs> now Skinny Dipped are lightly coated chocolate almonds with awesome macros. Uh, they taste delicious. And we have a discount for you. Go to skinnydipped.com forward slash mind pump and enter the code mind pump and you'll get 20% off. Also, I did forget to mention that the first event in San Francisco is hosted by Viore. If you go to that event, you'll get 25% off. If you don't go to the event, we are going to give you a code to get 25% off online. Go to vioreclothing.com. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com. Uh, forward slash mind pump. Go on the page. There will be a code that'll pop up that'll give you 25% off. Then we talked about Robert Oberst, our favorite strongman competitor. He's so and, handsome. And some controversial shit he said on Joe Rogan. Uh, we disagree with you, uh, Robert. Uh, but if you want to respectfully, if you want to challenge us to a fight, come yeah, find, come find Justin Andrews. about it. No, yeah. no Justin Andrews, not me. We'll find you. That's Sal talking. <laughs> then Adam brought up Tom Brady and how uh, apparently he's performing better at 42 than he did when he was 22. Reminds me a lot of myself. Uh, <laughs> I brought up an article about the average salary you need to buy a house in some of the largest U.S. metros. And how living in San Jose is becoming like, exceedingly impossible. It's kind of ridiculous. And then we talked about how weight training, uh, in c compared to cardio, it's superior for your heart health. That's right. Studies now show. Where did you hear that first? That's right. Lifting weights is the best form of. It shouldn't be the only form of exercise you do. To be to be you know quite honest. But if you had to pick one, make sure you lift weights. And if you want to lift weights properly, just do maps. Then we get into the fitness portion of this episode. The first question. What is your definition of intensity? Are there any objective measures you can use so that you can measure your intensity and you know how to apply the right intensity? Next question. Uh, a lot of times we talk about how to spot a bad trainer, but this person wants to know what signs you look for in a good trainer. So if you're in the gym and you're trying to find a good personal trainer, what are some of the things that you should look for? Next question. Uh, assuming someone's getting the adequate amounts of the essential macronutrients, proteins, and fats, what are the advantages and disadvantages of low carb and high fat versus higher carb, low fat? And the final question, this person's a personal trainer. They're in a gym. 
They want to know, should I get a social media presence? Is that going to improve my business? Because I just want to train people in the gym. So we give some business building advice to personal trainers in that part of this episode. Also, this month, all month, Maps Anywhere, our program that requires no gym access. In other words, you can work out with your body and with bands, builds muscle, burns body fat. It's extremely effective. It's 50 percent off. Now, this is a great program to take on the road with you. It's a great program to break things up. If you're always doing open chain weight training movements, that means that the weight is moving away from you. So you're lifting weights, you're curling a dumbbell, you're bench pressing a bar, and you want to start to develop your skills with closed chain movements. Body weight movements gives you better body awareness and it'll help spur new muscle growth. Follow MAPS anywhere. We wrote it ourselves. It's expertly programmed. Again, it's 50% off. Here's how you get that discount. Go to mapswhite.com, M-A-P-S-W-H-I-T-E.com, and use the code ANYWHERE50, A-N-Y-W-H-E-R-E, 50, no space, for the discount. Make sure you go check it out now. Buy it! Yeah, so Adam, uh, you're going to save a lot of money on your... You might as well cancel all your HBO Showtime. <laughs> <laughs> All that shit. I actually thought I'd be watching a little bit more TV. You're right? not watching shit, bro. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'll catch up on some of these Netflix shows I really wanted to watch. Like, no, not happening. Actually, you know what's cool is that, uh, you know, and I've got so many. <laughs> right now, the most difficult thing is responding to all the fucking awesome people that uh, keep sending me stuff, which I love, appreciate, love you all. But, I mean, my fucking phone has just been blowing up, and I feel, like, rude if I don't respond back to people. Uh, and so it's just been a little overwhelming trying to do that on top of everything else. But, uh, I also, I mean, I'm excited that we're able to do this. I mean, here we are, son's a day old and I'm in the studio with you guys or two days old, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, to be I feel like an asshole. I mean, you should get out of here. <laughs> right. It's Jesus. Man. No, it's, yeah. it's bro. It's a good thing. Cause I remember, you know, my kids were born. I still, I made it, I still made an effort to do my workout at least, you know, right. like an hour. You and keep just, some kind of routine. Yeah, it just because. So it, now that's the part that I I think I'm going to struggle the most with. Be honest with you. Do something, right? Because it'll consume me, bro. Well, one of the things that I'm doing right now is that I've just. I mean, I told you I fasted during the whole process, so I did a 48 hour fast. Um, last what two days ago I ate yesterday, but I only ate once yesterday, so I really tried to you know mitigate any sort of. Uh, fat gain during the that process. The, obviously, the fasting was nothing to do with fat or anything. That, that had to do with what I wanted to practice during her whole process. But uh, I would feel, after coming here like right now and doing this, like getting leaving her be, uh, if I were to extend it another hour or two to work out, I would feel guilty. So I do feel that right now. Um, I, I'm assuming that will subside a little bit in a week or so. Like once we've got more of a little bit of a routine, mm. like the first night it's trying to figure out. I, w I wouldn't even think of the workout in terms of, um, maintaining your fitness. Like forget that. Just, I'm saying do things to make, to maintain the mental aspect and feeling, you know, like, uh, don't like you're not so consumed because yeah. it'll just recuperative movement. Yeah. yeah. It'll, it'll, um, it'll, it'll sneak up on you without you realizing it. before you know it, you and her are going to be so consumed or feel so consumed by everything. So it's a good thing every once in a while that you both, she's obviously still healing from the whole process, but pretty soon, you know, you'll be able to kind of, you know, tell her like, get her out, like go, go, 
for 40 minutes, go to the gym or go for a walk or something like that. Yeah, you know? no, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we even last night, which is I think probably one of the hardest nights typically is the very first night where, you know, he's trying to – he wants to nurse and she's her milk is still kind of coming in. I would think that most people would say the first few nights is probably the, some of the most challenging nights. Um, we have – my sister's there and we had family all there yesterday, so – you know, I, part of me almost feels guilty of like sharing the process because I'm supposed to be like this. Oh my god, it's so hard. I'm so tired. It really isn't, bro. I mean, mm-hmm. it's I I right now I'm like I told you guys before we got on air. Like I'm trying to make sure that I give enough time uh, with everybody else. Let everybody else hold him and let her spend her quality mm-hmm. time with him because I just want to swoop him up every chance I can get and then and keep him on me. So he has not came. He has not. It has not felt like a burden or like oh, I'm just so tired. No, right? and that's why it's that's what makes it so hard. Is it doesn't it doesn't feel that right. way. And so like when you're when you're trying to tell somebody, you need to take some time. Take they don't want to. It's not that you can't. Mm. Yeah, it's that you so feel it's like not on top of mind. Y- yeah, yeah, you just don't. You don't. You, you literally feel like you don't want to. But it becomes cumulative. The the sleep deprivation stuff is more of a cumulative thing that starts to add up. And, uh, but anyway, you guys are, I mean, you guys have so much help and all that stuff. Uh, it's, you guys are yeah. on top of it. I, 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 I mean, I kind of, I kind of, well, I plan for three more weeks of good training and dieting to be, <laughs> but I'm still, I'm in pretty good shape right now. So I'm in, uh, I mean, I've been ever since like I went on the kick probably a month and a half ago, I've been pretty dialed, uh, with the diet and training and feeling I've been doing the light. I've been doing all that stuff. I've been feeling great. So I wish I would have had a couple more weeks to be in like primo shape going into this, but I already anticipate like, ah, whatever, if whatever yeah. happens over the next week or two with my fitness, I'm not really tripping. I'm not going to take any big steps back. Um, and then I'm sure that again, when the, when the routine kind of sits there, I'll be able to sneak away and I have everything in the garage if I need to lift, mm-hmm. but right now I just don't have a desire to, I'm like, oh, whatever. You sure. Know, the tough Toughest part about this was you started Stranger Things going into this. Yeah, yeah. Now you got to stop mid uh, first season. You're crazy. That's right. You started the first season, didn't you? I did. I we, that hooked me right before uh, everything started going down with the contractions and everything. We started watching. You know, Katrina and I both. One of the things we have in common is we don't like scary movies, right? So we don't watch any. Scary <laughs> yeah, that surprises me that you got into it. Yeah, it, it does have that old like Stephen King kind of feel to it. And you know what? When and I, I remember when we tried to watch it, and it's the way the show really does start. It sh- starts off a little eerie, you know, and I, both of us were just like, eh, you know, I know everybody loves this, but this mm-hmm. is not our late night show that we want to watch together. Right? So we just kind of <laughs> yeah. yeah. passed on it. But like, it's one of those shows. It's just like we can give given Sal so much shit about not seeing Game of Thrones for so long. It's so many people talk about it, about how amazing it is. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I need to just power through a few episodes and see if it can hook me. And it did. Like once I got through a couple episodes and I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm into it. It's so. the nostalgia piece that they do so good. 100%. So that and it keeps getting it. better, dude. The third yeah. season, they hit like, I felt like I was a kid watching. So I, this is what that, I, you're so right about that because that's the part that I'm enjoying the most. I mean, there's things, it's a trip. What it's doing too, to me is, uh, and I guess this is a thing when you start getting fucking to our age or whatever. Like you stop. I don't remember a lot of fucking 
10 year my 10 year old years you know no, it like, takes no. you back instantly but, but these kids yeah. so the the pillowcases that one of the kids had those are the, i had those exact pillowcases yeah the radio yes like, the, my, all these like the yeah, trapper the, keeper the trapper, trapper keeper yeah. i remember <laughs> like I, re, I remember those ones not uh-huh. just like the brand trapper keeper like i think i had that exact one that the i think the, one of the kids was carrying yeah. around in the show i feel like one of them had like a gotcha shirt you know yeah. or something like that i was like oh my god dude, yeah, I remember that. they did a really good they job. also dressed the kids so in the third season, uh, I'm really paying attention even more to the the style and stuff. Mm-hmm. They dress the way the kids dress is accurate because yeah. a lot of times what people do is they'll say, "Oh, this is 80s style," but in reality, what they're doing is they're dressing. They like- just watched Flock of Seals. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seagulls. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Seals. They, they, flock of Seals. <laughs> <laughs> in an alternative universe. <laughs> I'd be like the worst music ever. Oh <laughs> <laughs> These guys are terrible. Yeah. Uh, but no, it, it, a lot of times people say, oh, I'm dressing like the 70s or I'm dressing like the 80s or whatever decade. But what they're doing is they're dressing like pop stars and rock stars from that decade, which nobody really dressed like that in the 80s. The no. way You know, nobody dressed like rock stars like in glam, the Glam, like all day. Yeah, yeah there was, were, like, like we dressed down. a particular way and it's not cool. If you see the way people dressed, yeah. you look at it like, oh, wow, what the hell? Yeah. But they did such a good job of yeah, doing that. Like yeah. you look at the way they dress, the bikes that they ride, the way that they talk, the way they hang that, out. That, that's yep. too, the, the, the banter between the kids, they did a really good job with writing the script. Like that's how we, my friends and I for sure were like that on each other. Oh, it's you so great, man. Yeah, it's yeah. so great. Yeah. But anyway, you're it, it's, I was talking about this with Jessica yesterday. We were talking about how the timing, in some ways, uh, you know, was obviously tough, but in other ways, was perfect with the arrival of your boy because he was born so fast that if we were out of town, we have three places. We got yeah. San Francisco, Seattle, and Denver. Denver, and, and we were we were all nervous for you. I think uh, like we were starting to talk about it and be like. Dude, but it could totally happen while we're in Denver or you know Seattle or whatever you know like. And what are we gonna do? Well, theoretically, it happened so fast that it, because she was having those Braxton Hicks, you could have even been in San Francisco. You could have been in San Francisco and tried to come back with traffic and possibly yeah. have missed. We'd have to get you a helicopter. The birth yeah. of your kid. No, that was that was pretty crazy to think that after the fact. I, I mean, I and I was starting to feel like. Oh, I'll be okay. You know, like it'll, we'll, I'll get a call when she's got the, when she's hop down. on a plane. Yeah. Hop on a plane. You know, what's, what's the most freaking labors, especially the first one is going to be, you know, hours on hours, maybe days, like, you know, the whole process. So I'll be okay. But yeah, no, this shit went, it came so quick. Dude. Yeah, dude, it came so great. fast. Speaking of San Francisco, did you guys see that uh, Taylor was able to move? Venues to get a bigger spot. He was working. Yeah, it's on. nice. Too. So now we have more tickets. We have, uh, I think, twenty more tickets available. That's right. He for was San Francisco. He was working on the relationship with our, our our good friends over at Dosis, which is really cool to be doing another event with them because we did an event with them a while back, and so they have hopped on board. They want to be a part of the San Francisco thing. So what that basically did was open a, up a bigger venue for us. So. We now can hold more people in there. I think there's uh, what twenty more available tickets. You said yeah. twenty more tickets. So the way it's going to do, we're going to the way it's worked out is at five o'clock we're doing the meet and greet, which is at the Viore store in San Francisco, which they're going to give everybody there twenty five percent off, which they never do, uh, big discounts like that. Um, but anyway, you can go there, you can shop if you want, hang out with us. We'll be there. We're going to be drinking, hanging out. After that, we're going to move to the other venue, which is about. It's like, like 10 minutes away. Yeah, it's like down the street. Yeah. Um, and there we're going to have Dosist is going to have one of their concierge bars. 
Do you guys remember we did that event where they had um, all the different vape pens and then yeah. they had uh, little samples of terpenes and so you could kind of learn about yeah. cannabinoids and terpenes. Mm-hmm. It was so rad. So they're going to have that at the speaking event at the venue where we're actually going to be doing the the, the talking, which yeah. is kind of cool. Just made it even better. Yeah. Speaking of Yori, uh, I, so you know how they have that return policy that everybody's like, it's the best return policy? Yeah, they have like the the, the Nordstrom's kind of thing, right? Remember when Nordstrom's did that? I think they were like the first to really do this. Where So I, so I didn't know this. I didn't know anybody ever did this. Oh, you didn't know this? Not the, with clothes? This is what made, in my opinion, this is one of the things that made Nordstrom so famous was... You know, they came out with, aside from they carry really good clothes and high-end stuff, like, but they also have this policy where it's like, we take it back. Costco did the same thing for a while, too. Like, Costco did this where it was, you know, we'll take, we'll take, if you're unsatisfied with it, it doesn't matter if it's six months, eight months later. I didn't know this. Yeah. This is crazy. So you could, li- I didn't know you would do this with clothes because you wear them. Yeah. You know, so you could literally buy, I could buy a pair of Yori pants or a shirt and a year later, mm. take it back. Yeah. That's crazy. I'll tell you something. I'm never giving those chino pants back, dude. <laughs> yeah. I well, could live in those things. They're so comfortable. That's because they look like the, the, it's your style, bro. It that's is your, much my style. It's got a little style. you know, pocket for my cell phone I just found. I was like, oh, shit. I didn't even know this was on there. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's got, dude, those are my favorite. What's uh, so smart, smart about the company, it's it's just, and like I think Nordstrom's figured out too, it's like when you, when you got a product that is so fucking good, you can lean on doing things like that. Because it's like, hey- you know, there's all just That's like true. just like us. It's like we, we we have a 30 day you know money back guarantee, no question asked type of policy with any programs, and that's we can stand by that. And it's like, do we are there people that take advantage of that? Of course, we're not stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like we know that, but it's such a small percentage because you provide something that is such high value that it's like it's it doesn't matter. It it, it demonstrates supreme yeah. confidence yeah. in your product. Like if you don't have that much confidence in your product, you're 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 not wanting to give. That kind of a promise. You yeah, know what I'm you're just a hustler. Imagine if all those Instagram celebrity kids that were that start their own clothing line. Where they oh my just god, did a did a guarantee like that? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everybody would be returning their shit back in like it's 30 all itchy. <laughs> yeah, they'd be shrinks broke. three yeah, times. Shrinks every so, time I wash it. <laughs> now, what's after the San Francisco? Because then we're going the is it the following weekend? Yeah, to Denver. Is it Denver? Yeah, and then to Seattle. And then and Seattle to, the yeah. following. So Seattle is skinny dip, right? They're the right. one sponsoring skinny dip, right? Yes. So there, they called me. I don't know if I told you guys this, right? No. So they like, called. They the, called me up. Okay. And they said, "Can you please?" I'll talk to Adam right now. Justin, you might not want to no. listen. To this. They said, "Can you please uh, make sure that Justin doesn't fucking eat all the skinny dip?" They didn't call you. Bro, you got a reputation now, dude. Hey, man, you got a reputation. You got a rep. <laughs> It's like, it's like my radar goes off when we get the delivery up front. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm going to fucking hoard these. Uh, would, yeah. it, would it be great? We They're walk all, in fuck, the- Justin's coming. <laughs> yeah. That's double why I got a backpack, yeah. Double the sample bags. Let's yeah. put them all out there. Yeah. We're losing money on this. We can't have Justin. <laughs> you snooze, you lose. You know, in my world. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. You know, it's yeah. first to market. I'm, I'm still yeah. sour about the freaking, the, yeah. the, the peanut butter well, that's the thing. Gone. I mean, those are my favorites, so I can't, I can't help but kind of find those and just take them. <laughs> yes. You know, like you guys can, you know, fight for the rest. You know, those I, are mine. We need to have Rachel <laughs> when Rachel listens to this. Have Rachel uh, reach out to them. I'd, I'd be interested to see what's their bestseller because yeah. we all have different f- flavors that are our favorite. I would bet. I would bet it would be the dark chocolate. We should do like a poll. Yeah, see who's because it's wh- the which most flavor basic. Is win. that why you think that? I think the dark chocolate would be the most popular. Yeah, it's like the standard. Yeah, because really? I mean, because peanut butter chocolate. 
in my opinion, tastes the, is the best of yeah, all. Yeah, but that's kind of hit or that, miss. Yeah, there's people that don't like peanut butter. And then mint, too. Yeah, yeah, you get people that really love mint yeah. or like you know aren't, don't care for it. That's why I'm curious. I'm, I wonder what their, what their number one seller is. I mean, can you believe that? There's people that don't like peanut butter? Can you I, actually, I don't believe it. I've actually met somebody who they're, didn't like they're, they're peanut bad. butter. Yeah, they're they're the ones people. that have like, you know, you can't open a bag of peanuts because then their whole like body will explode. Oh, you're you talking know? about allergies? Yeah. That's yeah. different. Yeah. I'm not making yeah. fun yeah. of peanut butter. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm the asshole today, sounds, I guess. Sounds, <laughs> those, stu- those stupid kids. Those peanut allergy, you know, lame pussies. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> Suck it I'm, up. I'm not talking about that. That's obvious. I'm kidding. I'm Did kidding. I tell you guys? When I, so, you know, Jessica doesn't like Nutella. What? Yeah, I know. How can you, uh, it's like chocolate. Dude, That's I have, what I'm saying. I have the most amazing coffee, Nutella, peanut butter smoothie that I make, protein smoothie, oh, uh, yeah. and she doesn't like she No, doesn't, Courtney she, hides the Nutella from me. She's like, this is what's getting you fat. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think it's just that. No, when she told me she didn't like Nutella, I, like, I reevaluated our whole relationship. I was like, all right, let's see. Is this worth it? <laughs> you know, I don't know if I trust together. you. She, but she likes chocolate, though. She doesn't like chocolate. She loves chocolate. She worships oh. chocolate. It's oh. like the greatest food So she's of all a time. connoisseur, so that's probably why she doesn't like it, it. But she doesn't like it because of the hazelnut kind of back, you know, flavor, flavor in it. Right. Yeah. She just wants pure chocolate. Yeah, Give geez. me the And it, the not only that, but it also hurts my heart a little bit because Nutella is Italian. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> so yeah. she, now, like, she like Doug where she likes right. the really, really dark chocolate. She, she likes all chocolate, but she likes definitely likes the stuff that Doug will, will eat. Yeah, yeah, but she likes all chocolate. It's funny. I'll tell her, I'm like, you know, you sure you like Twix or you like, you know, like cheap? And she's like, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It's all chocolate. That's funny, but not huh. Nutella, huh? No, I no. love Nutella. Uh, so, so I know you haven't been too much on social media, Adam, because you've been uh, obviously so busy with your boy. But uh, Justin, have you been getting tagged? Like crazy about uh, the quote that Robert Oberst did on oh, Rogan. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I did, and I actually was listening to his episode on the way over here to work this morning. So yeah, it was about his statement about deadlifts. Yeah, and- did you hear about this, Adam? No, 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 no. I saw that he was on the show, but what? Do you- I haven't had a chance to listen to it. So is- Robert, great guy. We love him to death. Um, obviously, a massive human being. Oh my god, I'm, I'm super I'm, cool guy. I'm nervous the way you're setting the table yeah, right now. Well, it was a little interesting the way that he uh, yeah described this. He said, and the reason why we got. T- is because we are such big advocates of the deadlift um, and, and we consider it one of the number one exercises uh, both for building muscle to give you functional strength you know health all that stuff what what did he say he said that the deadlift is super overrated basically in that the risk versus reward is not worth it that you shouldn't and he goes unless you're training for to get stronger at the deadlift. In other words, if you're like a power lifter or if you have to do a deadlift in competition, yeah. he doesn't think you should do a deadlift. Uh, and then he went on to say that, that that hang cleans and power cleans were better, and that's why football players did that. Whoa. Yeah, that's where I was like, no. Well, because yeah. I can get on board I can get on board with the first statement because th- th- it is a high risk. Not that I would, like we always say, like I think that it should be a, a, an end goal for everybody, being able to deadlift and squat. If you can't do it and it's difficult and you shouldn't just throw it out the window, you shouldn't do it, then it's, you should try and go and figure out why you can't and right. work towards that. I think that everybody should do this and that should be how you program. Uh, but He said that the, yeah, that the reason why football players don't deadlift is the risk versus reward, and it's safer to do hand cleans and power oh, Well, I think... Ooh, which yeah, is not. You can't. No. I think it's more so... Because I, I understand... Like, that might have been somewhat of my mentality a long time ago just because I was as 
like unfamiliar with the lift because we didn't do it, you know, specifically. But obviously, in a power clean, you're deadlifting it up to your chest, anyway. Yeah, no, that's a it's an explosive deadlift, <laughs> right? So <laughs> it's a, like a, way more high skill. And <laughs> it's just, but but that's the thing is like um, you know that grinding slow, uh, you know, type of of uh, you know grit and power and strength. Like it doesn't translate quite as well as like the explosive power. That's so right. That, that, but, that's why like you like coaches program that more hundred percent. As well, opposed to deadlifts guys, in, in, for football, so in terms of that sport specific, you don't see it a lot. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like overall strength, like there's nothing that really competes with a deadlift. Well, you guys are you're you're getting tagged because our audience is smart. That's why mm-hmm. our audience knows better. Well, We've already, I think yeah. you've, that's the reason why we're getting tagged like crazy is because well, he's like, a super athlete, you know, and so it's like, and he's had experience where like he tore his bicep, and you know, and so I think it too, like it, it hits home for him, like that, well, that lift. He never deadlifted. Uh, right. Remember. He didn't start deadlifting until he started doing uh, uh, strongman, strong and deadlift was his. He, he told us it was his most difficult lift, and he's hurt himself. Yeah, and that's because he never practiced it as he got bigger and stronger. But here's the deal with football: what Justin said is 100 percent true. The reason why football players don't deadlift and they power clean or hang clean is because they're training specifically for right. a type of performance. It translates over into the field way more, way yeah. more. Yeah, but in terms of risk versus reward. Way higher skill to do a hang clean or a power clean. Oh, yeah. Way higher skill. And you know what's funny is that, you know, I'm sure he'd say that a squat is a good exercise for people, Mm -hmm. but I'll argue that a squat has a higher risk versus reward, you know, worse risk versus reward ratio than a deadlift for the average person. Now, keep in mind, we're not maxing people out, but it's, I'll tell you something right now. If I take an average person off the street, I'll be able to get them to do a proper deadlift faster. With good form, good control, good stability, than I will with a proper squat. Proper mm. squat requires more mobility. Oh, for sure, yeah. it just does. Yeah. So no, a deadlift is one of the best exercises. If you do it right and you apply it appropriately, right? It's a it's it's extremely safe. You have good mechanics, yeah. and you know it's proper load. Like you've built yourself up to that ability. So yeah, I mean, getting excessive with it and just going for PRs all the time. You know, of course, you're, any any compound lift like that, you're going to run into problems. Absolutely. If you if you and that's the problem when people hurt themselves with a deadlift it's the same reason why they hurt themselves with any other exercise they're yeah. going too heavy they don't have good control they don't have good stability and the problem with the deadlift is you just lift it off the ground so mm-hmm. a lot of you know people who just don't know how to lift it properly will just go and be like oh deadlift just come off the ground and then they do it wrong, and then they hurt themselves. So which way, which way one of you two is going to step up when he finds out we're talking shit about him? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm texting him right yeah. now. Dude. I was like, hey, you in Santa Cruz, bro? Because yeah. I think... Yo, Sal saying yeah. some shit about you on yeah, my phone yeah, right yeah. now. No, we'll bring you back on, bro. We'll discuss this. We'll no, discuss no, this. no. He's a good I, friend of ours. Yeah, Robert's the man. Come but. on, dude. He's nervous. He's on Joe Rogan. He probably just says... Yeah, like, and it was a really brief statement, and I think, you know... People That's the thing about that, that show is everybody hangs on to, like, every single word, because it's, like, the whole... Almost, like, half the world you know yeah. listening watching on youtube well it's a matter of time before robert becomes we knew this when we met him the guy has got that mainstream appeal he's got that 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 very um rare combination of yeah. charisma um he's got that likability and then of course he's he's the massive guy that uh stands you know, out he has a presence yeah you know? and it's yeah and he's he did great on the show and i listened you know to most of the interview and he just was you know, he was hanging with Joe and talking shit. It was great. It was he's, a great interview. He's got that X factor, which is why we wanted to work with him. And oh, he is a very him. smart dude. Love the guy, dude. Yeah, love the guy. And uh, uh, he's doing. Didn't he do a series that's supposed to come out on History Channel or something? Yeah, like about strongmen. Uh, yeah, the 
history's strongest men or something like that. That's yeah. going to be cool. Yeah. So while we're talking about superstar athletes, you, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, and I haven't, you're right, I haven't been on social, I haven't been around, but I did see in my, my buddies, Texas, Tom Brady, fucking 40, what, 45? Is that where he's at? 40-something? Is 42. that how old he is? 42? He's yeah, 42, 42 40, right? Yeah, 42 years old. Just clocked his 40 time that was faster than when he did it for the combine when he was 20. Is, is that, he like the first guy in history to ever do that? that to, and Wait a minute, he in ran, the NFL, okay, so he here, ran faster at forty two than he did when he was like twenty years old. That's insane. <laughs> Try, the combine, bro. Wow. You, when you when you go to the combine, okay, uh, all NFL players that are, are all potential NFL players that are trying to get into the NFL that get ex, that get invited to the combine, you train for that. Remember when we talked to Jamal and those guys? Like, there's like when you're when you have the potential to get into the NFL, you train specifically to do well to yeah. do well at that. Yeah. I mean, you that's everything for you. That's your could be make or break whether you get into the league or not. So, oh yeah, that was like for I mean, that's what what held me out from from playing and getting a starting position. You know, like D one schools they 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 measure like the forty times specifically is such a, like a high standard for them. If you have like uh, that not that great of a performance that day, you're fucked. Right, mm-hmm. and so and Tom Brady didn't. So uh, and I know there's probably a handful. If, if it is, if anyone's listening right now and they're like, oh, he's fucking, he was hella slow in the first place. Well, yeah. you know. For sure, whoever's saying that right now is some fucking 25-year-old kid or younger. Because if you're 35 and above, most certainly if you're 40 and above, and someone told you, yo, you think you could run a faster 40 than you did in your 20s? Like, fucking oh, not, yeah. a, not one person would stand up and say yes. Yeah, that, I don't care how yeah, slow the, it was. It right. was it was his speed at that age and training for it at that mm-hmm. age. Right. So the fact that he got faster twenty years later. <laughs> insane. That's insane. I could so I could totally see the internet trolls though because like what was it like a five two or something the yeah. first attempt? Yeah it was, it was like, like then five slow. one six or something. It's yeah, yeah. he's he's a, he was slow. Like that was part of why he slid as a quarterback. So part of why Tom Brady fell as far as he did in the draft was because of his forty time. I mean, as, although that does not matter that much at the QB. Obviously, the yeah. guy became one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Right, right. So, but the I game mean, game speed's totally different, dude. I, do, is he going to stop anytime soon? The dude already is owning. Like he's already considered now the goat. Like there's still a couple people. Like my uncle's one of them who still wants to hang on to Joe Montana as the as the greatest <laughs> ever. And I get it. Nah, he's like, he already destroyed. I'm a big Joe Montana fan too, and he's already he's already surpassed. Why, yeah. Now, how, what are the what? Tells you that he surpassed Montana. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, good old sports debate. What yeah. does, right? Do you want to count MVPs? Do you want to count Super, Super Bowl rings? Right. Do you want to count uh, who had the team that was less likely to go and you still went to the Super Bowl? Like, so who has more Super Bowl rings? Oh, Tom right, Brady. Tom Brady. Brady does. Yeah. Okay, what about MVPs? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Well, yeah. it sounds like Tom Brady then he's, would be the best. I mean, yeah. in terms of stats, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's winning. So, it, yeah. So it's, but there's still people that would, like, like my uncle that would debate that Joe Montana still is someone to go back as far as Namath well, stylistically star. too, like I, I would prefer like a Joe Montana style, like West Coast offense and all that. Like, I, that, there's just like I think it's more nostalgia. So it's like that too. So you want that's you know getting into debates is like so the Niners during the Montana era. There was a lot of passing, right? Well, they revolutionized. They the revolutionized it. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that way before. Like they yeah. were the ones that started that, right? So always when you have somebody that changes the way the game is played you get like extra credit for that right right. because it's like you're an innovator yeah right for 20 years the game was played a certain way this guy comes on the scene with this coach and this team and all of a sudden they do everything different this is where we could argue that for brady too in terms of just dropping somebody into the system and then being a successful championship team 100 i mean 100 they they mastered that right and that's Mm -hmm. the other thing too a lot of people 
take away I mean, some people now. It's crazy there is some people, not a lot, I shouldn't say that, uh, that actually still take the credit away from him because he's in a part of an amazing system. You know, so who had a better system already? You know, Joe, Tom Brady came into the Bill Belichick type of system, and it was amazing. And you know, mm. they could slot anybody in and be okay. But fuck, dude, get out yeah, of here with yeah. that! Like he's fucking greatest all time. He still right? leads the whole and team. And to me, it's what's dope is to see how healthy he is. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. At that, this age, that yeah. I mean, if this motherfucker doesn't stop for five more years, even the most ignorant people that don't think he's the goat will have to give in by that well, time. Well, here's, here's, yeah. here's, here's what here's what are you gonna do when he goes to the Super Bowl two concede, more times? Concede. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing of all of all the major sports that I can think of, the one that is gonna be most impacted by wear and tear and age is football. Right. Oh, yeah, I man. can't think of a sport right now off the top of my head. Maybe boxing um, where you're gonna, where the older you get, the the the, the faster you decline because football is such a fucking demand. Oh, and and sure, he's a quarterback, so yeah. he's not getting hammered like well, everybody else. Well, no, that's I, I, you're, you're disagree. Yeah, I disagree too. That's everyone is headhunting for yes, the quarterback every single play. I mean, it's it's an unsaid thing, but it, the truth is, I mean, some you uh, saw what? Remember what happened with the Saints? Like what? The Saints got in trouble was it six years ago or whatever yeah. when their coach was they used to pay bonuses out for hurting guys. Yes. So really? well, yeah. even subconsciously too. Like if you're on the opposition, like and you know that this is such a valuable player. Yeah. Like, like even though you're not intentionally, like subconsciously, you're coming oh, at yeah, him. Yeah, but here, extra. people are going to hurt him. But here's yeah. my don't, po- don't be fooled. Here's my point. 100%. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But do they do quarterbacks get uh, hit as often? As like a running back or well, not a, I mean a running back's going head. You're handing the ball to them; they're going heads up with. So there. I mean, it's right. one of the and they get, they get. It's the ball more of an them. opportunist thing as a defender. If you see him scrambling, it's like boom, like it's all all guns blazing. Right, but I mean, if you were to compare it to all the different positions okay, so, on football, no, think of it like this. running back gets the most for sure. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. he's getting the ball. He's getting tw- running back the front line. Well, the, line, uh, right? the running back 100 percent is getting 20. He's getting the ball 20 to 25 times for most teams uh, a game. And he's going straight, he's but there's an advantage to that. Like you get the ball and you are in control, and you're already heading downfield to cut left, right, spin, go down early, whatever. Quarterback is a sitting duck. Yeah. He back, he drops into the hole, and he is blindsided, and he's not paying attention to who's hitting him. He's looking for a wide open wide receiver, yeah. and he's he's praying that he's got a good defensive or an offensive line that's going to save his ass. Right, and everybody on the other side is head hunting, and now. Someone like Tom Brady, here's where they did a good job. We're, you know, coaching and drafting and making sure that you go after. He's he's always had a great line. They've yeah. built a very one of the best offensive lines for decades now around Tom Brady. So he's been protected for sure. But uh, he's still. Good. I don't know. It's it's crazy to me because of all the sports. I mean, football and you're performing better. Yeah. And in your 40s, after and how long has he been playing now? Well, figure twenty something years, right? Yeah, I don't he's know been playing that long. He's yeah. been getting hit that often, so he's just incredibly durable. And yeah, it's I mean, also if you count if you count college too, yeah. and, and oh yeah, I mean, it's also got to be a testament to his training, his diet, oh, uh, all yeah. that. You at know? that at that age too, that makes a big yeah, difference. Yeah, he he emphasizes recovery like I think better than most athletes in the game. For That's sure. insane. I just you know some people, and I'm not even a Patriots fan. Where I sound like I'm over here like I am. I'm I know. totally not even a Patriots <laughs> yeah, fan, but. Yeah. I'm not so you know there like in sports there's always there's always there's kind of like different different types of fans and I have that within our friends like you have your certain friends that are like so loyal to your team you hate 
everybody else. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Tribal. Yeah, you yeah, hate yeah. anybody else that could possibly take a ring from you or could beat you, and so it's like you just despise them, and then you Those pick... Those are usually the guys that never played. Right, yeah. yeah. You pick apart the, the other but the other team or the other players. It's just, I mean, this is the th many threads that I'm on in my, my own personal shit, right, with my buddies. But I'm the opposite. I just... I yeah I have my team and so I'm biased about certain things and I want to see them obviously win and I don't want to see them lose to any anybody mm -hmm. but I just I, I love sports so much and I appreciate like greatness mm -hmm. that I I have I'm okay with giving up kudos to somebody who's a fucking goat dude right. like you're the dude is so pay respect where where it's due yeah, yeah that's man, exactly how I so feel impressive you know what's, what's funny what's funny it's funny about this what's funny about this is I'm approaching the age where people talk about people performing at that age being crazy. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> He's forty-two. Holy shit! And I'm like, huh? Oh, I'm getting there. <laughs> like, I can still do things. Yeah, I'm getting there too. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Why, yeah. why is Me that abnormal? Yeah. Meanwhile, I twist my ankle and I step off the curb. I'm like, oh shit! <laughs> well, I actually think that was part of what actually kind of kept me motivated towards the whole mobility kick that I went on was. You know, getting me on that kick probably in my twenties or even early thirties, I'd kind of be like, oh, whatever. But approaching forty uh, and seeing the way most forty-year-olds move. Uh, it, it gave me this like, oh, this is cool. Like, yeah, I'm not the buffest guy in the room anymore, and I know what it feels like to be that guy. But being able to say I'm the most mobile and feel the best and move the best, like, that was fun for me to kind of mm -hmm. be competitive with myself and work towards a goal like that that I probably wouldn't be as interested in if it wasn't for getting older mm -hmm. and seeing the way other of my peers are moving and what they can't. It can just becomes can. way more important. Yeah, it, it does. It starts to become more important. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, just for crazy. quality of life. Reason. So you, you guys want to hear something that'll... Uh, Is that enough sports ball for yourself? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed the high five, Adam. Yeah. I, I enjoyed yeah, that have, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> you guys want to hear some, uh, some, well, interesting and maybe sad news. So there, I, there's an article that uh, just posted the salaries that are needed to buy a house. Oh, God. In the largest U.S. metros, I think Jackie shared this with us. So these are big cities, right? So you have like Seattle, for example. If you want to, like, the amount of money you need to make on an annual basis to buy the average house in Seattle mm -hmm. is one hundred and five thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. In Denver, it's ninety-one thousand dollars. Austin, seventy-nine thousand. Dallas, sixty-five thousand. So you can go all around and look at all the big. That cities. all sounds reasonable. New York let's, City, one hundred and five thousand. Uh, Boston, one hundred and six thousand. Where are we at? So San Jose, you ready for this? The average, the average money amount of money you need to make per year to buy the median house. And now you guys know San Jose well because we live here. And here's the truth about San Jose. I'm born and raised, so I can say this. The average house in San Jose sucks. So we're not even talking about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you're like like oh shit, you're gonna get a fucking no no. You're gonna get a, a, uh. a shitty. Average San Jose house, and they're yeah, not great. Very plain. Two hundred fifty-four thousand dollars. Whoa! Yeah, that's Woo! that's how much you need to make to buy the average home in San Is Jose that right now. The highest, or because I mean, dude, New that's York, higher. That's right? You have San Francisco. Like those are usually the other top. San Francisco's one hundred ninety-nine thousand. Now remember, they're taking Less? all. They're taking all the homes. Yeah. And then figuring out the median, and San Francisco's got some really tiny, like dirt. You know, dirtbag type homes. So I'm sure that brings because of course San Francisco's got some incredibly expensive homes. Right. Yeah, right. But when you're considering the average, yeah, San Jose beats them all. Wow. San Jose is more expensive than New York City for the average home. New York City is $105,000 to buy the average. Home. I wouldn't think that was that low. I would yeah. think New York, but I, yeah. again, New York is like San Francisco where it has uh, a, a yeah, large 
discrepancy, right? There's probably some real, real high and real lows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, there, 250 grand. A, you have to make a quarter million dollars a year. Well, I was telling you guys. By the average fucking house. What are we doing here? <laughs> my, it's supply and demand, dude. My, yeah. my buddy, I was just telling you guys off air, uh, he, so he bought Discovery Bay, one of the places that we like to go where we write programs, which is about an hour and 15. So he has an hour commute into town. Uh, and he did that so he could have a really nice house on the water. He bought a nice house on the water for like seven hundred thousand, right? Uh, but it's out in nowhere. Like I couldn't, I couldn't live out there, you know. Uh, and so he, it's all on the Delta, which I'm not. Also, not a big fan of Delta. I'm not trying to offend anybody that is out there or anything, but I'm not a fan of that. It's like a canal, right? And he he moved out there, lived out there for about a year and a half, almost two years. And his house now it went from seven hundred to one point one. He's selling it right now, cashing out, going to Arizona, dropping seven hundred again on a house. But this house for seven hundred in Arizona, bro, five thousand two hundred square feet, eight bedrooms, five bathrooms, yeah, brand fucking new, everything, mar bedrooms. marble, granite tile. Everything. That would be a the two and a half to three million dollar house here. What? Oh, dude, it's a yeah. palace, bro. That's oh. what's so frustrating because you know it's a lot cheaper to like build these houses, but like what they can charge for them here is insane. It's because right? it, well, it's the supply. So yeah. unfortunately, San Jose, California in particular, but then San Jose also uh, specifically, um, and a lot of the cities uh, in the Bay Area and on the coast have just silly regulations for building. And so what, what ends up happening is you have a very you have a shortage of homes and a high supply, mm -hmm. if they allowed them to build um, like they like they, like they they should be able to to meet the demand, um, it would still be expensive. Don't get me wrong. San Jose would still be expensive. We have, we're surrounded by the, the, the biggest tech companies in the world that pay the highest. So you have a lot of people that make a lot of money around here, but it wouldn't be as much as it is now because you'd have more supply. Yeah. But we have all these, these laws and stuff that make it so impossible to build new developments here or to build high density housing and stuff that we would need that the supply that's just it's insane it makes it even it makes it so incredibly expensive to buy anything here that you've created the you want to talk about a wealth gap here yeah it's like you're either you either own a home or you're you're poor you know what i mean it's right. like very difficult yeah. it's really really it's, crazy do you think the, the 3d printing houses is going to really flip all that if they allow if cities allow high density housing and stuff like that to be built then it will make a big difference if they don't allow it then what can we do yeah. so stupid yeah, to not allow put it. it you know yeah. well think about it if you're a homeowner and you've been living here for a long time and you know, developers are like, we want to build, you know, a bunch of small skyrise houses with no backyards or whatever, and it's gonna be in your backyard. You might be like, no, yeah. I don't want that it's around me. Struck my view. Yeah, I want, I want it all to be this. You know what I'm saying? So that's what ends up happening. Yeah, but I also think that's part of what happens when you when you decide you're gonna live in the city. Like you, you gotta be okay with that. Sure. Like yeah. if you want, because uh, there's the, the, where I want to live. That's why is, I don't live in the city? Right. I want to live right on the outside of here, where it's still really nice, and when you're still, it's a 15 minute drive into town or whatever like that. But if you want to live right in the middle of San Jose and you get mad, a high rise goes in your backyard. Well, fuck, the fuck you. <laughs> you know yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. That's what you 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 decided to buy in the middle of the city. Like that's gonna happen to yeah. you. But I think I would be upset though if I was 
country. You know, I, I lived out, like, if I lived in Justin's neighborhood and someone wanted to put a Are fucking- Are you serious? Yes, yeah, yeah. I would have no. put a hotel next to your house. Oh, <laughs> you give it 20 years, dude. Yeah. I, I mean, it just keeps spreading out. You I'll know? be that guy that lays down in front of the construction. <laughs> no! <laughs> no, I'm chaining myself! Yeah. Yeah. You know what? The only thing that's keeping Santa Cruz area from becoming insane, which is already is becoming insane, but to make it even more insane, only thing preventing it is if they is is 17. If they build yeah. another highway to go there, no. you're all dead. No, we're it's all, fu- yeah, you're fucked. We will yeah, petition against that. Totally. Yeah. Hey, so um, this is also cool. Study comes out that, so every once in a while, you guys know one of my favorite things to do, right? Say, I told you so. You guys know that, right? Oh, I thought it was read studies. <laughs> yeah. was, Second favorite thing. Yeah. True question. They go together. So, yeah. So you know how we've been saying for a long time that uh, it, it, I've really been making the case quite a bit, especially on podcasts that I've been on, is that resistance training, if you had to pick one form of exercise, it would be the one that you should pick. Oh, I saw it's, the article you shared. Yeah, it's I the saw best. that. It's the best form of exercise. And we've been making this case for a long time uh, on the podcast and talking about how, and I've been saying how the revolution's coming, where pretty soon weight training will be the form of exercise that doctors will recommend first and foremost. Because right now what they recommend is 30 minutes of cardiovascular activity. That's what everybody recommends. And I'm always making the case, and then we are always making the case that no, weight training is what you need to recommend. Much more impactful. Right. Bang for your buck. So study comes out where they actually tested resistance training uh, to cardiovascular training head to head, okay. So they took obese people. So these are these are not uh, you know healthy you know average individuals. They took obese people, and they had them uh, engage in either resistance training or cardiovascular training. And what they found was the resistance training and cardio training were relatively equivalent in terms of fat loss, but when it came to muscle gain, of course, resistance training was better, and resistance training was superior at burning pericardial adipose tissue, which is this type of fat that's that's stored in the heart, which is very bad for the heart. Cardio didn't burn it at all. Oh, wow. Weight training did. What a great find. Yes. Weight training is the one that burned that down. So so literally weight training, according to the study, proved to be healthier for the heart than cardio. Yeah. So just the the revolution's coming. That sounds dude. like 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 such a contrast to what we've been fed forever. That's it right there. And, it'll be and, it'll be neat when we actually start hearing because we know what happens too. Because I mean, as trainers, how how often were you fighting the you know recommendations that were coming from your clients' doctors? Like, yeah. so we've been fighting that forever on other stuff. I can't imagine how long it's going to still take. You know, because you got to think there's doctors right now that are 50, 60 years old, been practicing already for decades. They're going to be practicing for another decade or two. And they are, their schooling is done. The knowledge, and, so, and it's unfortunate because some doctors aren't like this. And it's always, uh, it's always really nice to meet doctors that are always still up reading new material and on cutting edge science, which I, we try and bring these types of doctors on the show as much as possible. But there's definitely an, uh, another group that gets their schooling done, which I, I'm not judging that either because, man, the amount of fucking school that they have to go through and, and yeah. learning to get to that level. And then they just they stay in that. Well, in, in, order their- to, in order to keep their license, they have to do a certain amount of continued education um, every year. Um, now, I'm not quite sure what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, but I do. It's not, it's not like what you're thinking. It's not where they're on cutting. They're not yeah. reading that study. They're not oh. like – they're not staying ahead. Of, they wait until – 
that's already been proven for five, ten years. Then it's now being implemented it has into to schools. Be Exercise yeah. and nutrition isn't a heavy subject. Yeah, well, right. it has to be established. But studies like this are the ones that are going to drive it. And when insurance companies start to communicate it to doctors and say things like, this is what you should recommend to your patients, this is what the studies are showing, they're going to start to recommend it. And it's, it's going to start happening soon, mark my words, because this is like the fifth or sixth study now that has shown resistance training to be uh, besides strengthening bone and muscle, which has been well established, that resistance training is phenomenal for overall health, uh, for diabetes, for fat loss, and and they theorize in the art. The researchers theorize in this, which this is obvious to us, but I love seeing that now. Researchers are saying this. They're say they're saying the reason why they think the resistance training did better is because of its ability to uh, speed up the metabolism. That's their. That's exactly what they said. Of course. Mm-hmm. So. This is awesome. Yeah. This is really cool, and it's really awesome because we know the impact that. Pr- and here's the thing with resistance training that's so awesome: you don't need to do it as often. That's the thing with cardio. Cardio, you got to do it a lot to get a lot of the benefits. Resistance training, because it builds muscle and speeds up your metabolism, a lot of the calorie burn happens when you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. So you can get away with like I could have someone lift weights three days a week and do it effectively, and I'll get better results and fat loss with them than somebody who does cardio every day. So it's a smaller, uh, it's 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 less of a commitment, and it it's more achievable. Now the only downfall is it's more complex, mm-hmm. but that's okay. That's why we're creating programs for people that they can you know learn. Well, it's these types great. Of things. The science is catching up, man. Yeah, so yeah, awesome. It's exciting. <laughs> If you're looking to maximize your overall muscle and strength, MAPS Anabolic is the perfect place to start. With a full 30-day money-back guarantee, there is absolutely zero risk. So what are you waiting for? Go to mindpumpmedia.com and get started today. It's the motherfucking quad. Eagle has landed. First question is from It's Walkie. What exactly is your definition of intensity? It's one of the factors you mentioned along with reps, weight, and sets to help break through a plateau, but how would you measure your intensity in order to increase it? Yeah, I, I picked this question because um, it's a difficult, specifically because it's a difficult one to answer, and I, I thought we would get in a good discussion about mm. it. Uh, if, you, if you look at our programs, the way we write them, we always tell people, we give them subjective measures. We always tell people, you know, for example, if we say on a set, you know, stop two reps short of what you be what you would perceive to be failure, that's going to change depending on how you're feeling that day right. versus another day. So intensity, it's hard. It's very difficult to have an objective measure of intensity. It's the same way. It's the because, same same it, well, same thing. You can exactly. Ask the same thing about pain. I mean, it's like people's like perception of pain is completely different when you talk to each individual. So intensity for me, it's pretty similar. Totally. totally. Well, and you can also intensity isn't just this mathematical equation that you plug in to the point that you're making, Sal. And you can also manipulate it uh, in, in a lot of different variables. For example. Uh, I can increase the intensity of my workout without changing the exercise, without changing the sets, without changing the reps, but just simply making the rest period shorter by 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Totally can make the same workout extremely more intense. I can also pull back on the intensity by adding 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So that's just one example that I can do that now. I can keep the rest periods all the same, keep the sets all the same, 
but reduce my weight that I was doing on all these exercises by 10%, and that could reduce my intensity. Or I can increase it by 10% and increase my intensity. So, Or the number of reps you're doing. Right, right? exactly. There's so many variables that you can play with to manipulate intensity to be uh, more intense or less intense. And I think, and this is something, uh, and I'm glad you did pick this question, Sal, because it is it does create a good discussion because here I've been doing this for, uh, what, 18 years, lifting weights and training. And it's still something that I don't think even someone with my experience has perfected. I'm always flirting with the, because the, what, what the goal is, right, I, I want to do as little as possible to elicit the most amount of change, but... You know, I'd also don't want to do so little that I could have done a little bit more and got more results. So you tend to actually flirt with the opposite side and probably go a little too intense more often than that. So you're always trying to find that sweet spot of, you know, how can I do as little as possible, but still also do enough that I'm getting the max amount results. And that is normally played with with the intensity. And it's such a fine line that many times I, you know, train a, a, a body part or train a day and I go, I know in my head that okay my body probably needs about this much intensity and i don't there's not a number for that it's just kind of know like oh i slept good um i have trained pretty consistently the last couple of weeks so i could probably ramp it up a bit today and i go do it and many times i overextend it a little bit on intensity so uh, rarely ever do i see uh well i guess it i should be they're trying to figure out who i'm talking to if i'm talking to somebody who loves to weight train, is excited about this stuff, they typically go a little beyond an intensity and 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 tend to get too sore and probably did a little too much. If I'm talking to somebody who hates to work out uh, or never has worked out before and is afraid of that sore feeling, they sometimes probably are on the other end. They probably need a little bit more intensity. So it really just depends. Also, a lot of it also depends on how you're feeling. <laughs> you know, like I could... I could get poor sleep uh, mm-hmm. or be coming down with something or just be suffering from the cumulative effects of stress in my life. Um, you know, like maybe work is real stressful or something's happening with my kids or my workouts have been really hard for a long period of time. Now I go into a workout that normally I would perceive at, say, 80% intensity. And that workout is feeling more like 95% intensity. Yeah. So, I mean, there's even psychological factors of like, doing something you're unfamiliar with, like like learning a new skill, like going through an exercise, like it'll feel more intense when your body doesn't recognize it right away. That This is why it's so important to learn how to listen to your body, how to set your ego aside and listen to your body and really start to pay attention to what the appropriate amount of intensity is for your body that day when you're going into the gym and be smart about it. Take a mental note before you start your workout and, uh, you know, tell yourself like, okay, I didn't get good sleep yesterday. I'm feeling a little stiff. I'm going to go in today in my workout and I'm going to work out with moderate intensity. And the reason why you want to do it before your workout, because here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes you get into your workout and because you're moving, you start to feel better. You think, you know, I knew I was going to go moderate, but I'm just going to go after it today. <laughs> sometimes that can get in your way. Sometimes that can mess you up a little bit. So make that mental note beforehand so that you train with the appropriate intensity, because training with the appropriate intensity will get your body to consistently progress. Training with too much intensity will get your body to not progress. Training with too little intensity will also slow down your progress. This is also, um, you know, a good example of what really good programming does well, right? So 
what we try to do in all of our programs is to kind of naturally build this in for people so they don't have to think about this because I understand how uh, difficult this like this question is like well, well what's too intense or how do I measure it or mm -hmm. what percentage of my max you always get we get that question like oh what percentage of my max should I be at well shit all that stuff like Sal's saying it it really depends on how you feel so the way like all the phases and all of our programs are designed is like we're always kind of manipulating one or two variables like we're talking about that would in naturally increase the intensity of the workout and it doesn't take that much and so at first glance somebody who probably reads the program may not realize there's no we're not speaking to intensity we're not saying hey phase two ramp up your intensity or give it more this workout it's like you know we know that if this person has been following this rep count this set count this tempo this range for this many weeks all we have to do is change a few things come the second phase and it will naturally become a more intense workout because their body is just not adapted mm -hmm. to that. They haven't done right. that exercise or they haven't done that rep count. And so it'll naturally increase the intensity just the right amount to where hopefully they keep progressing. And to me, that's kind of, I mean, that's one of the many things. There's lots of ingredients that make, I think, the program cool. design really, really important. That's one of them that I think is is extremely important that we've done really well. That's one of those things with, with training, I think. It's the, the main game of like trying to improve is to really like manage this intensity and figure out how to scale it properly and, and really introduce it. But then, you know, uh, be able to like extend that out so now we can increase it properly and then also you know start over again and 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 pursue a different type of attribute so that way you know you continue to to gain the benefits yeah. from it because it is a, such a powerful tool that um, I think that people really need to respect it in that uh, too much right away you should recognize. You should recognize what that feels like, right. like whether or not like your body's like responding in, in a visceral way. Like I feel pain or I feel like, you know, like super fatigued or, you know, all these signs and signals Like you really have to be hyper aware in the, in the beginning of the process. So that way, when it starts to come back, you can know how to deal with it. This, this, uh, you get better at this with time. Uh, this is something that you start to develop uh, kind of a feel for with some experience of training where you start to kind of develop a mental image of what maximal intensity feels like for you. You start to become more in touch with your body and know when you're going to, when you should train harder, when you should train lighter. Lots of things affect how you feel um, around this. It's funny. I did a post uh, the other day about music. Um, st music studies show very conclusively that some kinds of music will reduce your perception of pain and fatigue. So if something feels at 80% intensity, the right kind of music might make it feel like 75% intensity. Studies have shown this. Caffeine is another one. If you give someone caffeine um, and they'll, they'll, they'll perceive pain uh, as being much lower and they'll perceive intensity as much lower. And so you tend to push yourself harder because your perception of those things uh, starts to change. But as you work out consistently over time, you'll start to develop... Uh, a, a good understanding of the right kind of intensity for your body. That doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. Uh, I, I, to this right. day, I'm still overstepping and understepping the right amount of intensity. But as I've worked out throughout the years, I've gotten much more accurate with what is the right amount of intensity uh, for my body. But there well, is no way to objectively really measure this. It's, yeah. Again, like you said, Justin, it's like objectively you know, measuring pain. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, how do you do that? I, I think, too, like, when, when you do overstep, that's where 
uh, I mean, even journaling or something where you're like making a mental note of all the factors that led into that, whether or not it was just because you overloaded the exercise, whether or not you pressed further rep wise, whether or not you came into that workout with, uh, you know, you didn't, you were fatigued already. You didn't have that type of, uh, you, you know, uh, force ability that uh, normally you would. So just, um, you know, your state of mind, like all these types of factors, like, I think it's just being more aware of what led into that. So that way, you know, you can mitigate it going forward. Next question is from Catherine B. Fit. In a lot of your past podcast episodes, I've heard a lot about how to spot a bad or inexperienced trainer. For example, trainers just trying to exhaust clients. And that is mostly what I see in gyms. How do you spot a good trainer? And if you don't see any in your own gym, how can you go about finding one? This is true. We talk a lot about how to find like the things that you can see in a trainer that will tell you like, oh, they're probably not a good trainer. But I do think it's important to talk about signs that you're looking at a good trainer, somebody who actually knows what they're doing and cares about what they're doing. One of the first things that pops into my mind um, is the attentiveness yeah. of the trainer. Is that trainer that tells you a lot? Really, it does, right? Like, are they really paying attention to what their client is doing? Are they watching their client intent, you know, with with intention? Are the modifying form? Are they in the workout with the with the client? Um, you know, making sure that the form is perfect, making sure that they're activating the right muscles, and that you can tell, I think, pretty easily, right? It's the opposite of a trainer who's not uh, who's not paying attention or who's on their phone or who's talking to somebody while their while their client works out. That's got to be the biggest sign right there. Well, I used to yeah, and and you I don't feel like you see this a lot and it was very important to me. It was I used to try and teach all of my trainers to do this and some didn't, some didn't. But you know, when you when someone's doing a squat or any exercise for that matter, there's there's so many areas on the body that could be breaking down uh, during that movement that if you're standing still in one place and holding a clipboard or a stopwatch and just looking at them from one angle, uh, I, I don't know. I would say that you're right away. I think that you could be doing a better job because, uh, you know, you, you may be looking at somebody uh, from like this 45 degree angle and they're squatting like, oh, it looks pretty good from here. And then all of a sudden you shift around to their backside and you see like this asymmetrical shift at the bottom. And you're like, oh, wouldn't have caught that had I not done like a whole 360 around their body while they're training. So I was a very active trainer. I mean, I used to, that's why I used to burn so many calories was because every client, every hour, uh, and we, when we get through their routine, you, I'm constantly, I'm kneeling down, looking from one angle. I'm walking around the backside, looking at that angle, looking at the front while I'm counting reps. So I'm counting reps. I'm, I'm giving them coaching cues. Oh, sit back more. Oh, chin up, pull the shoulders back, chest up. And I'm, I'm constantly giving cues and I'm constantly walking and, and like staying stationary for just moments to watch a rep from a different angle. So I can give more and more cues throughout that. And you just don't see it a lot. A lot of trainers, they- It's they, exhausting. Yeah, it is. It's tiring. Um, and you also, you know, you, you work real hard to get a client. They, you sell them on a big contract. They're with you for the next six months. So you know they're come, they've already paid. They got to come back next week also. And then you re, maybe you spend a lot of time writing their program, and that's where maybe your energy as a, being a good trainer is put. But then it stops there. You just don't, 
continue to coach them up. It's it, being a good trainer is not that much different than being a good coach and everything else in, in, that you've seen. It's like the ones that are paying the most attention, giving you the most feedback and cues, and and then it doesn't just stop there. Um, you know, and it, this is if you're an outsider looking in and you're trying to assess a trainer, this is difficult because. Um, and I'm going to use Justin as an example because I don't think he was a super loud trainer, but a trainer that puts a lot of emphasis on the other parts of their life. Like what else are they doing outside of the gym? And uh, I know that because uh, he worked with me and so I could I could I saw what he was coaching to after he, you know, after he worked him out, he'd sit him at the desk and then I'd be able to, you know, sit and listen to what he's telling that person to do later on the next day and remember this, like there's a lot of value in that, that uh, a person who's just assessing a trainer with his client on the floor doesn't tell you, you know, because a, a really good trainer recognizes that I only have you for one hour of the day, the other 23 hours, you've got to be making a lot of good choices or all the, all I, I could be the greatest trainer in the world for that one hour, mm. assessing you, checking your cues, motivating you really well. But then I just, just let you do whatever the fuck you want for the next 23 hours and you won't see as good of results. So there is that piece too, that it's not just about what you see in the gym. It's also how much does that trainer coach to all the other aspects of your life? Do they talk to you about your sleep? Are they talking to you about you know things that you can be doing to alleviate some of the joint pain that you have? Are they talking to you about your your different meals and food choices and what could have been a better choice than that choice and make, commending you when you do good things? Like, man, there's a, there's a lot. I saw a really good trainer the other day at, at Club Sport. It was a young lady training her client. He was doing uh, an overhead press and he was, and this is just, you know, I can't help but do this. If I'm working out in the gym, most of the time I'm in my zone. I'm doing my workout. But every once in a while, if I break out of my zone, uh, my eyes immediately go and find the trainers in the gym. That's Those are just my people. So I tend to watch what they're doing. Um, it, it's, it's, it's fun for me to watch. And I can't help but sometimes notice uh, certain things. And so this young lady was training this guy. He's doing overhead presses. He gets to like rep four, I think it was. Um, and he looked like he could have done another 10 reps. It didn't, wasn't, didn't look hard to him at all. But he puts the, the bar up, he racks it, and then he kind of puts his hand on his shoulder and moves his arm around. And so you could tell, and she was far away, so I couldn't hear what she was saying, but you could tell she's asking about his shoulder. So they immediately stood up, moved away from the bar, and she started doing shoulder mobility exercises mm -hmm. and correctional exercise with him. And I immediately thought, that's a fucking great trainer. Good point. Now, a bad trainer would have you know, said, oh, your shoulder hurts, no problem. Let me take a little weight off, keep doing it. A terrible trainer would have said, we're not doing this exercise anymore, believe it or not. Uh, that's what a, a terrible trainer does. Oh, you can't. You, you hurt when you squat? We're never doing that again. Let's go move and do a leg press instead. A good trainer would say, oh, you can't squat? Where does it hurt? Let's find out why you hurt, mm -hmm. and let's see if we can get you to be able to squat without any pain. Let's try this correctional exercise stuff over here. And that's exactly what she did. She moved him away. She did some, you know, some some wall circles. She did some other exercises with the shoulder to try and help with his mobility. He went back to the shoulder press and I could tell by the look on his face the feedback he gave her was like, that's great. "Oh wow, my shoulder doesn't hurt anymore." Yeah, I I pay attention a lot to the clients. Um, you know, uh, I I'm very like observant in terms of like how um, you know, they're coming in and then How they're what, what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what, what they're even doing before they meet with their trainer. And like sometimes, and this is a hard thing to do to really like take the time to establish a good ritual and like make it a priority. I think, I guess I, I revere a lot of trainers that, that emphasize the unsexy stuff. 
and the stuff that, um, you know, at the time is like super unpopular. It's not part of the hit, you know, style training. It's not like they're doing all the stuff, you know, uh, is going to get them the the best results right. and it's going to do the best for their body, regardless of if they're like really overweight, they're not just blasting them and, and trying to get them to sweat. They're, they're taking them and they're, they're going through the mechanics of it. They're explaining like all you guys are, are talking about, like the communication piece of like how they're trying to get their client to further understand why the why and like, yes. and, and that their client is asking them and stopping mid set like should i be feeling it here or should i not be feeling it there like that kind of stuff in, in that that open communication and feedback between the two parties is is so crucial to having a good experience that's right a, a bad trainer is somebody that uh makes you work out a good trainer is a guide and a teacher totally different yep. imagine a guide and a teacher teaching someone uh, how to exercise. That's what a good trainer does. It's they're teaching, they're coaching, they're guiding. A bad trainer is like, do this, five more reps, you can do it, move to the next one. You can do three more reps. Come on, get in shape. You want That coach, that motivational person, the person that's yelling at you, that's getting inspired, that's making you sweat real hard, they don't have a lot of value. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I, can, I, I remember I had a trainer like this that worked for me uh, years ago. Um, and that's what she was really, really good at. And, uh, you know, because she worked in my facility, I would give trainers feedback. And so I brought her back and I said, look, I said, you're very good at motivating and inspiring and your clients have a lot of fun when they work out and everybody sweats. I said, but you're going to have a lot of trouble keeping clients past six months. You're going to have a lot of turnover. And she argued with me. No, I'm not. I'm, you know, they love me. I said, look, they're not going to last past six months. Your workouts are always intense. It's all about motivation. At some point, there's nothing you can say that will continue to motivate your client. Just that's just life. You can't you can't stay in a constantly super elevated motivated state. It just doesn't work. So the boot camp instructor who's super motivating is you're going to lose your luster after about 6 months and you'll lose your clients. And sure enough, she'd go through this huge turnover every 6 months and had to find new clients. And finally, you know, she had she accepted some of my coaching and she started changing her style a little bit and then clients stayed with her for much longer because she learned how to coach and teach. And so you can see that when you're watching a trainer. Are they just pushing them and motivating them? Which there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if that's all they're doing, they're not a good trainer. They're just a boot camp instructor, motivational speaker, whatever you want to call them. Are they actually teaching, coaching, and guiding? Now that's somebody, that's like a sensei. That's somebody that you're going to be with for years because they're going to continue to coach and guide you through your process of learning how to develop behaviors around fitness, health, nutrition, long-term. That's somebody that you want to work with forever. In fact, the, the my average client would stay with me for, I don't know, eight years, nine years towards the end of my career. And a lot of these clients didn't train with me uh, very frequently towards the end. You know, if I'm training for someone for seven years, 10 years, or I had clients that stay with me for 12 and 13 years, at that point, I'm training them once a week or once every other week. I am there. They, they didn't need me as much to be there, but I'm still guiding them. So they'd come in, they'd meet with me every other week. I'd take them through some exercises, talk about what they did, you know, go through some, you know, talk about their challenges, give them some ideas for workouts until they see me again and then come back and see me. And these people maintain their fitness. Well, you also, you also then become the trainer that anytime anything weird about their body, their feeling in their gut, their their lack of sleep, they start to reach out to you. 
they don't cancel. Yeah. That's what you'll see. Bad trainers will get cancellations. There's my shoulder hurts. Yeah. yeah, my shoulder hurts. I can't work out with right. you. A good trainer gets the phone call. Hey, my shoulder hurts. Uh, I want to see you. Can yeah, I come can in you, extra what, this what week? What can we do? Exactly. Yeah, yeah you, know, you, you know when you ha- you've built that up as a, as a good trainer, when you have that credibility that your client, anytime something is not right about their health or their body or anything going on with them, they want to see you. Versus looking for a reason to get out, and that the the to Sal's point about the boot camp trainer, the trainer that just is great at motivating, that's the trainer that gets canceled on because I don't feel good today. My low back is bothering me. I'm 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 tired. I'm not motivated to come to the gym now. Oh, I'm supposed to see Adam at six o'clock. I'm canceling that appointment. Yeah, versus no right, I feel this way, and I know I know Adam. I know when I tell him this is how I feel. He'll modify my workout. Totally. He will make me feel better. Right. He'll make me feel better. I'll go to my workout as much as I don't want to go right now. I know that once I leave that hour, if I express to him what's going on with me, how I feel, he will make adjustments to what's probably best for my body. And I trust him that way to do that. And I know when I leave, I'll feel better. That's the type of intangible things that you just, you can't really see that like peering in at one time. You might be able to see it when the clients leave. You know, if you watch a client, after they're done with their session, are they walking out of the gym like they de- like they just almost died, <laughs> or are they walking out like sweaty but they look like they're energized and they feel good? Like that's a telltale sign for me. Like when right. when clients would finish with trainers and they'd leave my gym and I'd watch them walk out and it looked like they were gonna <laughs> fucking die or pass like out. Need a wheelchair. I was like that client's car. not gonna come back very much. That's yeah. not gonna last very long. Uh, but the people who left kind of happy and feeling good, like that's a happy customer and that's somebody who's gonna be working out long term. Who's developing a good relationship with exercise. Next question is from Hanha. Assuming someone is getting adequate protein and fat, what are the advantages or disadvantages of different macro ratios? When would you recommend high carb or high fat? Does it matter for the average person? Jesus, there's like four questions in that. Yeah. Well, I think what we should mainly mainly talk about is just the difference between uh, you know, a, a macro profile that's higher carb or uh, and lower fat, and versus one that's higher fat, lower carb. I think would be probably the best place to start. Now, I can tell you my personal experience and experience with clients, and I can also tell you what the literature says. So, low carb diets tend to be easier to eat lower calories on. Okay, anecdotally speaking, if a client is eating a high fat, low carb you know, moderate protein diet and all things being, all other things being equal, you know, calories are the same. It tends to be more satiating. They tend to not crave wanting to eat more food with a diet like that. Now the drawback to it is the performance, athletic performance, Mm -hmm. a lower carb diet and studies will support this reduces uh, power output um, and uh, high intensity stamina. Now it may be okay for low intensity stamina, um, some studies show that low carb, high fat diets are fine for like yeah. lo- long, steady if state. Fat adapted. Yeah, exactly. Um, but if you're like lifting weights or sprinting or playing sports, low carb diets are not ideal. Same thing for building muscle. Like you want to pack on muscle mass. Can you do it with a with a high fat, low carb diet? You can. Is it harder? You better fucking believe it. Mm-hmm. Way easier for me to gain muscle when my carbs are higher. Um, uh, and my fat is is moderate. I just my muscles are fuller, probably because I can train heavier and I'm stronger. Um, that it seems to work. Now, uh, knowing some of this stuff, this is more anecdote. Um, I don't think there's a lot of s- science necessarily to support this, but anecdotally speaking, for the average person, I like doing both. I like having days where my carbs are low, my fat is high, 
and I get some of those benefits. And I like have days where you know my carbs are higher and my fat is low. And sometimes I'll go through periods of each where I notice some benefits of one and detriments, and then I flip it around. And long term, that seems to be the best strategy that I've found when it comes to macros. I, I not only agree with that, I, I, that's where the direction I was going to go after you s- started there is that I have a theory that I think somebody like our good friend Lane would probably debate me and uh, try and argue because we don't have a lot of science to support this. But I believe that just like everything else in our body that seems to adapt to things, that why wouldn't our body adapt to the same macro profile and breakdown that you've been eating months in and months out and years in and years out. And why would it not be advantageous to switch out of that? Like it just, to me, it makes total sense that everything else, the way our body adapts, uh, that it there's benefits to taking it out of whatever you were doing for a consistent amount of time and switching it up. Mm-hmm. I think there's got to be not only health benefits to that, which I think a little bit easier to argue that, but maybe even performance and long term. So this is where someone like Elaine or someone may come and try and debate like, oh, well, let's show show me that in a six week study. Well, in a six week study, we could, you could probably show a high carb diet is better than this diet, but over years over time or even longer than six weeks going months and months over time of the same foods the same type of macro breakdown over and over and over you can't tell me that that person would not greatly benefit to completely flipping the macro profile on its head because of the what the body will now have to do to adjust to that there's got to be some great this is why keto got so popular mm-hmm. everybody was eating you know high carb high carb high carb they switched to keto and then they noticed all these radical benefits because it was just dramatically different than what they were doing before. And there's other reasons. I'm sure they were avoiding some of the processed foods they were eating and whatnot. And all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, uh, I have oh. less appetite. I don't feel as bloated. Um, I have you know, no energy dips or whatever. Um, and then they stay on that long enough and then they throw in some carbs. Like, oh my God, uh, I have more energy when I lift weights. I'm stronger. And it's like, okay, it's because you were on one for so long. That when you switch, you get some of those. It those seems like uh, our culture's been doing that for us anyway, right? Yeah. We're low, low fat. Now we're keto. Now everybody's trying to hop on the, you know, the the vegan, like get us off meat, and um, it, it just seems like this. I, I don't know. Like we all just kind of find benefits once we sh- switch out of like the current thing we've been doing for too long. Well, and, and, and guys like us that have been doing this for a really long time, I think have had the opportunity to watch all these trends happen. And I think that's exactly why I theorize that it just makes sense to me. The best thing probably to do is to spend a little time in a high carb type of diet for a while, then spend a little time in a high fat, low carb type of diet, then spend some time in something that's moderate, then play with a carb cycling type of, I mean, I just, when I started coaching train or clients, I used to do this real generic meal plan that was very basic that the computer used to spit out. And like, I spent no time really coaching this part over years i've seen all the different benefits of different types of diets for different people and recognize that you know i could have two people that you would think would benefit the same from this type of diet but then completely are different Mm -hmm. and don't so what i love to do with all clients and i've been doing this now for at least five plus years maybe 10 now where if once you hire me, what I'll do is I'm going to take you through all of them at one point. At one point, I want you to experience what it's like 
to almost eat like a vegan. Like we'll we'll go, uh, you know, this moderate uh, protein intake, and we're going to do tons of vegetables, and we'll live kind of like in a diet like that for a while. Then we'll do like a paleo esque, and then we'll do ketogenic, and then we'll do carb cycling. And I really just want them. And I, and as a coach, what I'm doing is. I'm not just I'm not saying follow this diet and then tell me if you like it or not or let's see your results on the scale. I'm asking you, I'm probing. I'm mm-hmm. like, I, let's talk about like, do you, what do you notice? Do you notice your mood, your energy levels? Do you like it? Is it mm-hmm. sustainable for you? Do you notice anything with your skin, your hair, your stool? How's your workouts been on it? And 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 then as they're giving me that feedback, I'm not just leaving it there. I'm coaching like, oh, that's probably because we're now we've increased this, and so you're noticing these things. Well, if we go back to you know how humans evolved, um, humans ha- we are un- we're quite unique animals in the sense that we can eat a lot of different things. We're, we're very omnivore. Um, there's cultures that eat lots and lots of meat. There's cultures that eat lots and lots of vegetables. And within those cultures, they eat seasonally. Okay. Humans yeah. probably, well, I don't have to say probably, I, I would bet a hundred, I would bet all my money that for sure humans ate uh, what was around them. That's um, the only thing that was available during the seasons. Right. Yeah. So if it's a summer season, there's going to be summer foods that'll be growing. There'll be probably more luck hunting and killing certain things as it gets colder, becomes more winter. You're probably eating less vegetables and less fruits. You're probably eating more fish and fatty type animals. Well, plus and so- all the nutrients you get that are different, right? That that help benefit, like say in, in you know times where you're experiencing less sun, you know, for instance, and like the the plants and the you know fish and things around you are more beneficial towards you know getting you certain vitamins and nutrients that you're deficient in. That's right. So so we evolved having somewhat of a seasonal diet. Uh, there were probably periods of time, long periods of time where we didn't have any food. Then there were periods of time when we didn't have any carbs. Uh, then there were periods of time where you know we didn't have lots of meat, mm-hmm. um, uh, and 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 this probably happened year over year. It was probably seasonal you know like oh here comes winter uh you know look look at old cultures what do they do to prepare for winter they kill animals they store the meat in a way that keeps it from going bad and they mostly meat and fatty fish yeah you know if you go up into the like scandinavian countries um they have this culture around eating cod Mm -hmm. um it's one of the reasons why those cultures thrived in in during the winter when they got no sun whatsoever, cod is very high in vitamin D, for example. Yeah, we watched that like the, the they noticed with rickets and in, in what was happening when they're so deficient. But the the people that were eating this cod liver were not having that same uh, thing happen. To That's them. right. So we ate seasonally, so it only makes sense to kind of do that with your with your diet as well. Eating the same thing all the time, same macro profile all the time. I don't necessarily as long as it's healthy. I don't necessarily mm. think it's bad, but I think it's probably better to throw in some diversity. We do know that the microbiome of your gut is far more diverse. And up until now, what we've noticed is being healthier, although the science is still murky, when we have a, a, a balanced kind of diverse diet. When you go, when someone eats the same stuff all the time, we notice that the diversity of their microbiome declines significantly. Like if you take a keto person who's been keto for a year, they're going to have less diversity in their micro, far less diversity in their microbiome than somebody who eats a, 
a diverse, uh, you know, kind of balanced type of I'm diet. I'm still waiting for this continual glucose monitor to be able to use that with, you know, clients like trainers use it and, and, and it be accessible to mm-hmm. like your average person just to see like how your body's responding chemically on that level as well. Did I tell you guys it's been, that was one of the cool things about the, the misdiagnosis of Katrina? Oh, I was just going to go there. Yeah. That's was, exactly what happened to her. Yeah. Because she went low carb for so long. Right. I mean, you, she was under 100 grams every day, maybe right. closer to 50. Right. Every, every day. Then they give her a 100 gram sugar, yeah. you know, uh, glucose drink because they do what's, what, what is it, the diabetes test or whatever while you're pregnant. So you go from having no sugar every day for a long time. She's it's probably doing this. Super concentrated version. Yeah, yeah. She's probably doing this for at least a year, if not longer. Yeah. Then they give her a hundred grams of glucose in one sitting. And then they test her blood sugar and they're like, Oh, you're pre-diabetic. Well, no, it's because her body was so adapted to very low sugar, low carb that you threw a bunch of sh- Her body just didn't react well to having that much sugar no. at all. And then we got a chance, they give us, you give us a glucose monitor. And so she's taking her blood every, after every meal, about a half hour to an hour afterwards. I think it's an hour is what the protocol is. And, you know, then you check it and see where she's at. And when we're, when we're not getting a hundred grams of sugar from what the test is and we're eating what she normally eats, which is, you know, chicken, rice, avocado, like a, a typical meal of hers, uh, fucking perfect, yep. you know, absolutely perfect. But we did get a chance to see some different things like how her body uh, responds to different types of fruits and mm. uh, rice versus other uh, uh, quinoa, things like that. Like, so it was, it was fun to kind of do that. We were having, cause you track and you get a number, you know, Oh, and, and this is ideal. They give you a range. It needs to fall somewhere between 130 and 150, you know? And so, you know, she's all, all we're always trying to target right in the middle, but I would tell her, I'm like, you know, really pay attention to the differences in your meals, not just that you're scoring well and we're doing fine as we knew you were fine. But actually, since you're doing this, it, it's fun to kind of see mm-hmm. what carbs affect you and uh, differently. So uh, that was really fun to do that and such value to that. I, I you know, I, I don't think we're far off from us being able to have these and everybody have access to it because – to me, there's there's a lot of value in just knowing that. Just oh, knowing, yeah. What- just just having like a profile where you can be like, okay, these are you know my preference in terms of like a food list, and then here's how I can rotate them, you know, seasonally or however you want to manage it. But it's like you know, this is my preference list, like individually. It's all about it's all it's going to be all be about data. When we get to the point where we can collect enough data points and we have the computing power and algorithm. <clears throat> That's accurate enough to predict how your body's going to respond to certain foods, and then it's going to get really fucking. Cool. Oh, then there will come recommendations, right? How uh, how dope is that going to be? We're soon here. I don't believe we're that far off to where you'll you'll have an app where it'll say like, "This is what's ideal." Ten for years you. is my, yeah. my my prediction. Adam, you plan your workout at noon. These are the best meals. Eat this you. an hour before, yeah. and and it's it's. Right. Very, I right. just watched a documentary on Netflix about numbers and probability and how they use all this data to predict things. And how accurate, and the bigger the number is, the more accurate it becomes. Right. The smaller the number is, the less accurate. And so I was watching, and they were talking about how they're predicting weather and how it's getting more and more accurate because they have more, uh, they're able to collect more and yeah, more data. More examples. And they have supercomputers now. And I was thinking like, oh shit, it's a matter of time before you have a sensor that you wear on your body. It's going to measure all these different things and it's going to tell you what to eat. It's going to be like, oh, you're based off your stress levels, your hormones, your catecholamine product, whatever. It's going to tell you exactly what to eat. It's going to tell you how you're going to react and respond. It's going to be crazy. So I think we all 100% agree on that. I don't, and you're silly, I think, if you try and argue that we are heading that direction. 
what I'm curious about is will that make a difference? Mm-hmm. Will people Well somebody's be like, fuck it. Well, right. I don't care what you say. Because it, I, <laughs> because you either use it or you don't, right? Right. Well, I, I think like the, the trainer and me and I and I think a lot of probably people listening to the show are like, Oh, of course that would be awesome. It would make a huge difference. Well, you're not who I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the other eighty percent of the world that's not yeah. listening to the show, right? How do I fit donuts in that? Well, how do you yeah. yeah. I or just don't just disregard it. Don't give a fuck. Don't want to, don't care. Don't care. Don't, doesn't matter to me that I know. Cause how many people do you think when they go and they make that choice at Taco Bell thought that that was the better choice for their body? I well, mean, you know what the next level will be then, which would take much longer, would be something that has that sensor that shocks them. That gets <laughs> 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 freezes your mouth shut. <laughs> fuck off. Yeah. No, that, that'll, that'll change your body chemistry to match what you're eating rather than telling you what to eat. Oh, God. So it knows how you can respond. You're about to eat a donut. Fuck insulin. Boom. Boom, metformin, you know? Okay, cool. Kept everything where it's supposed to be. Oh, wow. Next question is from Rabri. I'm a new trainer and am already employed at a gym that is chock full of leads, but I'm wondering if I should also develop my social media to advertise myself. How important do you think it is to build an online business to go alongside in-person training? Do you think it will lead to being a more successful trainer long-term? I just actually read an article on this. I wish I remember who it was so I could share it. And I know Jackie's probably going to hit me up and ask for it. Jackie, I don't have hmm. it. But uh, there, this is kind of, we're seeing this this transition right now of almost uh, everybody, not everybody, a lot of people that are having a lot of success in the fitness space, um, 80% is becoming online and 20% is in person. And the old model was completely opposite of that. And we've watched that transition happen. So a lot of these successful gym owners or in-person trainers, the ones that are most successful, uh, 80% of their revenues are coming from online. Mm. So uh, I think it's I think it's crucial. I think it's crucial to, to be very successful as a trainer to actually uh, build a social media or build a presence online or have some sort of a a business that generates revenue for you virtually that doesn't require your in-person time so you can scale. Well, yeah, it's no different to me. Like when I was, when I just branched off on my own and there in person, there was like a, you, you had this book and it was, it was like basically you could advertise yourself for somebody first coming into golds. And uh, so I did that, but then really spent the extra time uh, back in the day when barely anybody had websites. So if you can believe it or not, like there was nobody in there that had a website. And so I was like, this is an opportunity for me to uh, basically be different and show that, you know, I care more and that I'm more professional. And that really paid off for me. I got a lot of leads because just for the fact that I had a website address that could go there, that could even read further about me, see more examples of people that I've you know, had his clients and their stories. And so I think that, you know, social media, it's, that's an even easier route because now it's like, you don't have to spend all that money that I had to spend to, to build up and develop this, this website. This is just something that you need to consistently, you know, provide value from and, and, and gather leads uh, organically through just what you're already doing with your clients and training. No, look, even if you don't want to do any online training, even if you just do in personal, personal training or in person, I should say personal training, you should definitely have a good social media presence. And it's funny, if we go back 15 years and a trainer asked me the question, Sal, should I have a business card? 
My answer will always be yes. Well, these days, your social media page is your business card. Right. Nobody cares about business cards anymore. They're gonna if they're gonna hear about you and look you up just to kind of see like if they hear like oh Justin's a good trainer you should check him out be like all right let me look him up what's his Instagram that's the mm-hmm. first place yeah, they're gonna it's look a little snapshot now you don't need to have a like a million followers or anything like that if you don't plan on having an online business where you're selling and doing training online who cares about your followers but you should have some pages online Facebook Instagram whatever Instagram would be the probably the preferable one in my opinion that is a good representation of you. So someone can look you up on Instagram and see what kind of a trainer you are, the things that you promote, you know, how you train your clients, where you train your clients, the hours you like to train. They should be able to look you up on social media and get and, and get all the information that they want and also maybe get sold on the fact that you might be a trainer that they want to hire. If you don't have that today, you're only going to rely on word of mouth. And even then, you're, ham- you're compromised because today, word of mouth includes, again, like if I'm recommending to Adam, you know, a doctor or, you know, a store or anything, 100% Adam's going to try and find their social media page. He's not, he's going to hear me. He's going to be like, oh, Sal said this is really cool. Let me look him up. Oh, what do you mean they don't have an Instagram? That's like minus 10 points right there. Right. It's going to take business away from you. Well, and that you're talking just from a, a lead generation standpoint too. I'll tell you as far as being a, a better quality service. So even if you are not going to do the online presence, like I was talking about to, to, make money virtually and you're just going to do like what Sal's saying to complement your business uh, that you do in person. I mean, talk about what a great way to enhance all of your the client experience that you have by providing something on your social media pages, whichever, whatever platform you're utilizing that, you know, let's say I, I train, you know, 30 in-person clients and I have a pretty good business, right? But uh, I'm not sure if I want to start Instagram because I'm already making six figures as a trainer in person. And it's like, ah, it's just more time for me. It's like, yeah, but man, I could do a post that because when you and here's the thing about if you're a new trainer, you'll real soon here, you'll start to notice that you get a lot of similar questions. Like you get a lot of the the same. You're going to answer the same question all the time. Like, why not instead of just answering that to that one person, do a post about it on your your social media page and provide it. To, to the the world to see so that one they 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 realize how knowledgeable you are about a topic two you get to answer the question of the client who asked you the question anyways and then there's a really good chance that one of your other thirty clients had the same fucking question and they now because they already follow you on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or whatever now get that answer too man it's and you, you and that and what's great about that it becomes compounding mm-hmm. and then it also starts to speed up your ability to service your people so. You say you're a new trainer now, right? You like you are. Give it two years that you've been building this page. It's like so we're able to scale like we right now, and part of the success of that is we have a customer service department that doesn't need to be a trainer for 20 years plus like we are. They all they need to know is where to find find that on our YouTube channel, our Instagram, our blogs, or our white papers, our free guides that we've given out. And so she, all she has to do is she gets this really technical question. It's like, oh shit, well, the boys have answered that before and just click, copy, paste, and send. Now imagine that being you with your own business. You've been slowly building up your Instagram or slowly building your YouTube up of giving good free information, good free information. 
now these questions, these these same questions start recirculating. You're like, oh, I did a great YouTube video on that, or oh, I did a great post last year on that. Let me just copy paste and send that to that client and let them read it. Right. It's funny because um, yesterday I was talking to Jessica's friend. She's trying to get pregnant and talk about you know fertility type stuff, and so I texted her friend and I gave her some advice. It's exact same advice that Jessica had given her, but because she'd heard it from someone else or through a different means, it clicked and now she's doing it. This will work for you as well as a trainer. You may communicate to your client a million and one different you know, times on why they should avoid, let's say, heavily processed foods, but then maybe you make a post about it and it's a long post and it's a well-written post and they read that post. Then it might actually click. Believe it or not, this actually works. I oftentimes got clients to understand what I was talking about through using different means to communicate with them. Sometimes I'd communicate with them verbally, and if it's just not working, then I'd maybe send them an article, and then I'd write something, and then they'd read it, and then it would click. So your social media page, like Adam's saying, can provide tremendous value to your clients who already work with you, already hear you. Now they go on your Instagram. They see you did a post about deadlifts, and you write about something, and then it clicks, and they go, oh, you know what? That's what he's always telling me. Now it makes sense. So I'm going to start doing this exercise. And it naturally opens the door for the possibility of you maybe down the road wanting to build a virtual business, right? So It's your real estate. Right. Maybe right now you you don't have any plans to online coach. You've got a successful in-person business or you don't really desire it. And maybe you don't even like Instagram. So don't use it like that. Don't use it to be scrolling on butts and talking to people back and forth. Use it to provide information and put content on there like you're talking about, Sal. Scroll on them butts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a new... That's the new term Hashtag right there. scrolling them butts. Hey, what are you doing over there? I know you motherfuckers are doing that. I'm, <laughs> scroll- I'm scrolling on butts. Called out. Look, if you go to mindpumpfree.com, you can download our guides. They're all absolutely free. You got to go check them out. They're very, very useful. Also, uh, you can find us all on Instagram. You can find Justin at Mind Pump Justin. You can find me at Mind Pump Sal. And you can find Big Daddy Adam at Mind Pump Adam. Hey, Big Daddy. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.